You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Radio Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald. And can you feel it? Can you feel fall in the air? Well, oh my goodness, it is coming. There's just a couple days left on the calendar where it still says summer, and then it says autumn. It says fall. Well, it is here, and I will tell you, there is something special about the air, the smells, the colors, and just the feeling of fall, because there's just something that goes back to, I don't know, caveman, cavewoman times? I don't know. Something that is innate that makes you want to start getting ready for winter and it gets you excited for putting that away, you know, harvest, putting food away, stocking up, all that type of stuff. And even though we don't necessarily have to do that as much these days, there's still that feeling. But you don't, you know, if you you stay in a temperature-controlled office and you stay in the middle of the city, you don't necessarily feel that as strongly as you might out in the country. Well, today we're going to interview somebody who has solved that problem for you. And I am talking about Jim Lowe, the owner and the creator of the Lowe Family Farmstead out here in Cuna, Idaho. He and his wife have been developing this business since 1997 when they really first got started pursuing this. And it is culminating in now them owning their own farm, not leasing any ground, and being able to really expand upon what they're offering to folks to both teach them about agriculture, give them that warm autumn feeling of harvest time and agriculture and being out in the countryside and and being ready for winter, and just some really unbelievably great fall experiences. Well, there is a lot that goes into agritourism and the building of a business like the Low Family Farmstead, and we are lucky enough to speak with Jim today all about how it developed over time and where it is going in the future, everything they offer, and everything that goes into owning and operating a business like this. In addition, the most frequently asked question that he gets is how do you build and how do you design a corn maze? And I made sure to ask him that very question for all of you, but I saved it until the very end so that you got to stick around if you want to hear how that gets done. But it is a really interesting process. You might be surprised on how it gets done. I know that I was. So everybody will have that coming up for you here in just a moment. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. I have, uh, I've been enjoying watching your journey and watching your story for years now. And now I get to have you in my studio because it turns out we're neighbors. Yeah, just down the road. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Well, very cool. Well, I'm excited to profile uh, the Low Family Farmstead and to talk all about what's available for folks. And I don't imagine there's anybody out there who has not heard of it, but maybe. So uh, we'll introduce them to it as well. But let's do this. I, I want to start off by just having you kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Just tell us about you, your family, and that type of stuff. And we'll jump into specifics. Great. Thanks. Yeah. My, well, my name is Jim, and uh, my wife is Hillary. And together, we have three kids, and together uh, we own and operate Low Family Farmstead, uh, which is Idaho's original corn maze. Okay. Uh, it traces roots back to 1997, back when nobody knew what a corn maze was. It was just this crazy idea. Why you're going to go walk around in a cornfield and get lost? Mm-hmm. And it was this. It was this strange novelty, and uh, of course, it's grown into a lot more since that. But yeah, so that's us in a nutshell. We live on the farm here in Cuna 
and uh, we've lived in in Kuna for quite a while, mm-hmm. and we farm uh, in Meridian and Kuna, and uh, so we're involved in production agriculture as well as the uh, agritourism of the farmstead. So back in 1997, were corn mazes like a brand new idea? <laughs> it was really new. In fact, uh, I think the first large scale corn maze was in like 1992 or 93 back east, mm-hmm. and Actually, a fellow from Salmon, Idaho, had uh, kind of caught onto this idea and tried it in the West, and um, that's where the beginnings of the farmstead came from. Okay, and so it was just this kind of crazy, you know, college kids, kind of a off the wall idea that you're going to go get lost in a cornfield. Okay, and uh, of course, it's it's evolved a whole lot since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely blown up. They're all over now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's been uh, this idea of agritourism or agritainment is not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it includes things like you pick uh, orchards and, and produce and maybe dude ranches and all sure. sorts of things where people are going to interact with agriculture and have this hands-on experience mm-hmm. on a farm or a ranch. So that's really the core of our business, and and the maze is kind of what we're famous for, mm-hmm. and still is one of our anchor attractions. But really, people are coming for this whole farm experience that they can uh, that really adds value to their life. Well, uh, it certainly does, and and we're going to get into that. Uh, it's very interesting that you're involved in both. So, did you grow up in agriculture? Grow up in farming? Yeah, I did. Um, I I actually grew up in Montana. My dad and grandpa farmed and ranched. Mm-hmm. There was really difficult economic times for agriculture in the 1980s. Yep. And so that changed some things in our family. And so all through high school and growing up, I was always uh, involved in farming and ranching, but didn't have a home, didn't have a family operation to go back to. But I had, you know, they say you can take the you can take the boy off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. Yeah. And that's something that rang true for me. So I went off to college, studied agriculture, and I uh, came into this idea of agritourism, mm-hmm. uh, which just really resonated for me. And, and I uh, saw it as a niche way that I could be involved in agriculture and and really, it's uh, worked out great for us. That's great. Well, I, you know, on this show, we love to discuss topics that impact all of our listening audience, all the way from Pendleton, Oregon, down to, to Twin Falls. And there's so many folks listening who, who come to us because they're familiar with D&B, and they want to be involved in agriculture. And you brought up a really great topic, which is, is some form of a niche that can allow you to kind of, as you're growing and building your farming operation, can allow you to sustain that. So, I mean, watching you grow over the years has been has been great, and obviously you found that niche. And I'm thinking back to a conversation you and I had several years ago now, maybe even, I don't know, back in 2012 or 2013, but didn't you go off and work for a gentleman with a corn maze in Colorado to learn how to do this? Yeah, well, um, I... I actually uh, worked for the guy who started this maze uh, back okay. in 1997. Uh, he has a, a corn maze design and consulting company. Okay. And so I worked for him professionally designing and cutting out mazes around the country oh, Okay. for about seven years. And then Hillary and I started a corn maze in Colorado and, and in Utah. And uh, then we had the opportunity to uh, take over the operation that had been going here. Okay. Uh, in 2006, we uh, took over the maze that had been running here, and 
grew it into the farmstead. Okay. So I had my things flip-flop just a little bit, but that's really interesting too. So is there still a business of consulting or has everything become automated with computers and people don't <laughs> need that type of consulting any longer? Well, you know, it's, it is still a, a business and there are a number of companies out there that do it, but you know, just like anything in, in those early days, if there was somebody in Timbuktu that wanted to do a corn maze and they thought, well, how in the world do we cut out a corn maze? Yeah. Well, now you can find about anything you need as far as technical information on mm-hmm. the internet or, or whatever. But, um, what you can't find is that connection with real experience. And so that's where the value is on, on that consulting side of things, which I'm not involved in that anymore, except that, um, uh, we do, uh, interact with, with a lot of other corn maze owners and okay. other farms around the country. And we're swapping ideas and sure. what worked and what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And we go and visit. And so that is a, is a great wealth of, uh, creativity that we are a part of. Well, let's do this. I'm going to take our first break. And when we come back, let's get into the specifics of your corn maze of, of the uh, low family farmstead. Great, thanks. Carhartt makes gear to get you through anything. So D&B Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way, Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do. To outlast them all, get decked out in Carhartt at D&B. It's time to power up your plans for summer fun by picking up a Honda generator at D&B Supply. Available in a variety of configurations, you know you can rely on a Honda generator for the long haul because it's a Honda. Get staying power for RVing, camping, tailgating, and other off-the-grid fun. Even use it as a convenient, reliable backup for outages at home. Designed to power your adventures in life, grab a Honda generator today at your favorite D&B Supply. Well, Jim, I've got I've got to be careful as we come back into the show here to not uh, to not be selfish and just ask you about the things that are specifically interesting to me. But I'm going to ask you about one more. You said that you're involved also in production agriculture. Describe to us what you're doing on that side of things. Yeah, so we grow corn and wheat, and uh, that we sell that just as commodities. Mm-hmm. Uh, our corn will go to be feed corn. Uh, it's fed to dairies and feedlots, mm-hmm. and our wheat gets sold on the on the market and usually goes into making well all kinds of things everything mm-hmm. that needs flour so you know i love production agriculture and and um that's what i grew up in and and that's our roots is is sure. that we're a farm so it's important to us to to maintain the production mm-hmm. but you know just to make a living in production agriculture you've got to have really big scale or you've got to have some right. diversity right and so uh, pretty much any a small family operation has to have some diversification and some people go and do custom corn shopping as their diversification. Mm -hmm. Some people have a job in town that's their diversification. Mm -hmm. And in order to make it work, that's, that's kind of the way it has to, has to happen. And so for us, our diversification was this uh, agritourism aspect. Was it, you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg question, but was it the desire to get back and to have your own farm that led you to agritourism or was it the discovery of this this way to be involved in agriculture through agritourism that led you back to having your own farm? Well, you know, it was, it was kind of both. I I guess as I was in college, I was thinking, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to get into production agriculture, even though that's mm-hmm. what I'd really love to do. It's just so expensive 
uh, for equipment and land and so on. Mm-hmm. Then this this little niche idea was an opening that we could start very 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 small and lease some ground and and grow into it that way. All right. So we've kind of got an idea of what the farmstead is. We know that you've got a great corn maze. What else is there? What So for people who've never come out and they've never seen it, what is offered to them during that the period of time that you're open? Well, so in the fall, uh, which is our, it's what we've done for years and that's our core operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a corn maze, which is a large scale corn maze. We create a different image in that each year. Mm-hmm. And that usually generates quite a bit of interest. We've had some fun uh, designs over the years. Sure. And uh, we also have a big pumpkin patch. Uh, you pick pumpkins. Uh, this year we have over 15 acres of pumpkins. And we grow over 40 different varieties of pumpkins. So all kinds of big jack-o'-lanterns down to mini pumpkins and specialty gourds for all kinds of decoration. Hay rides. Uh, those are kind of our big things. And then we have so many activities and uh, things to do just to get out and be on the farm. So okay. uh, I, I can't even describe all the stuff that's going <laughs> on out there, but uh, good food to eat, um, mm-hmm. fun to be had every which way. And you've got the whole family working out there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Our our three kids, our oldest is 15 and our youngest is uh, just about eight. And then we've got a 12-year-old in the middle mm-hmm. and they have been there every day that we're open since they were born. They've grown up there and they know the operation inside and out and they are valuable parts of, of our operation. Well, I've had the opportunity to interview your oldest, Brooklyn, and she uh, she's very invested in the business. She she had a lot of great things to say, but it's it's really was fun to interview her and kind of hear how she's uh, been brought up in the in the farmstead business and then be given kind of an increasing level of responsibility year after year, learning more and more about the business. I mean, it's truly a family operation. Yeah, it really is. And that's one of the things that we love about what we do is that our kids are involved. It, it's helped them to develop a sense of, of self and responsibility. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's, it's really been fun to have them grow up as part of the farmstead. Well, when are you going to be opening this year? This year, we open late September. Okay. And we uh, run for uh, six weeks, six weekends. And, uh, so right through the end of October, mm-hmm. that's our typical pattern for the fall, you know, with our, our location move this year, we're moving out to uh, the farm that we own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that opens up some doors for some other fun things. So this year we're also going to have a Christmas thing going on Oh, cool! in uh, for a few weekends in December and, uh, even some things next spring. So the horizons are opening up for us. We have a lot of fun things coming, but our core uh, operation is the fall October and that that core operation or that fall season does it kind of uh, come to its I don't know it's crescendo there with Halloween yeah a little bit before that okay. usually you know mid-October when the weather's nice and people mm-hmm. are enjoying the season the harvest season uh, preparation for Halloween mm-hmm. we actually close just before Halloween day okay uh, because once Halloween hits you know there's there's a lot going on that day and <laughs> and uh, we're kind of moving on to Thanksgiving got it there's the new location and this is part of your journey that uh, I'm excited to talk about but uh, your new location where is that yeah so for the last 10 years we've been right on the freeway mm-hmm. at the Eagle Road exit and we're we're now 10 miles directly south on Eagle Road in CUNA. And uh, Eagle Road doesn't go all the way through, so you have to come down on Meridian Road or Cloverdale or mm-hmm. Locust Grove. 
uh, and then jog back over to Eagle Road. But 10 miles south of the freeway on Eagle Road in Cuna is the new place, and that's our that's our home place. Okay, very cool. And this is the first time that the land the farmstead has been on is actually owned by you and your family. Is that right? Yeah. From the get-go, we've leased property. Mm-hmm. And there, there's been some advantages there as we've had good visibility and when people didn't really know what this was all about. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we feel like it's the right time that uh, people are enjoying the farmstead. Uh, we can take it to the next level and open up whole new horizons. Okay. All right. Well, let's take another break and let's come back and talk about what's going on in 2019. Great, thanks. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB Supply. When it comes to legendary performance, only a few chainsaws make the cut. Like the Husqvarna lineup, available at DNB. Years of razor sharp research led to many of Husqvarna's breakthrough technologies, including anti vibration dampeners to reduce the impact on your arms and hands, plus a combined choke and stop control that makes the chainsaw easier to start. When you have your work cut out for you, get her done with a Husqvarna. Pick one up at your favorite DNB supply. All right, Jim. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about 2019. So here you are. You're you're on your own property now. And so that's opened up some doors, like you mentioned, Christmas and doing things at Christmas. What else is going to be new for this year? Well, you know, this year we, we have not had an off season this year. We've been going full steam ahead, mm-hmm. uh, making this move. And uh, so we've put a lot of investment into infrastructure that's going to result in a better experience down the road for our customers All right, out at the new place. And, and uh, we invite people to come out and see the new landscape. And uh, we think people are going to really enjoy that, really enjoy the opportunity to get out of the hustle and bustle mm-hmm. and and really step into this day on the farm. So that's our the big thing is just uh, the location. Uh, but we've, you know, every year we add a few things and uh, change a few things. And so this year is no different. We've got a, a nightlight parade that's in the, in the works that's going to be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, some other games out on the farm that'll be fresh and something new to experience. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, over the years, we've come to realize that people don't come for a specific thing at the farmstead. Okay. But people come for the experience and for the feeling and for what they take away from the farmstead. And so just from our personal experience living here, we know a lot of native Idahoans who are very tied and connected to agriculture and to the land. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of them aren't farming anymore. Yeah. Uh, but they still have this drive and this connection to bring their kids to that, to have a hands-on touch with agriculture and with and with the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, we see a lot of people that are moving in, and we notice just the number of cars on the road. And, and we recognize that all those people who are moving here to Idaho are coming here for a reason. Right. And it's because they like what Idaho is. And they also have this desire to understand, to know, to have a hands-on contact with the cultural and economic and geographic thing that is Idaho. Yeah. And uh, we think that we, the farmstead, were uniquely positioned in order to offer 
that experience to people. And when you come with family and friends, you, you take away memories that, mm-hmm. that stick around for a long time. Well, you know, I think you're 100% right. There's a there's an intangible that it's hard to put your finger on. But uh, I go through here on my farm every year uh, when we're putting up hay. And, and I see that I've got all our hay put up and we're ready to feed for the winter. There's something internal. It, it just make it's that time of year and it makes you feel good to know that you're prepared. You're ready for winter. And I'm sure that goes back to something like innate that that's, you know, a thousand years old or something. I don't know. But uh, for folks to come out to the farmstead and to to feel the chill in the air uh, in the evenings, to see the changing colors, to to experience some form of, of harvest, to see the, the color in the pumpkins and, and all of that, I would assume it triggers something that people probably can't even describe or identify. They just know they like it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And then you, you mix in the excitement, you some fresh kettle corn in the yeah. air and and a turkey leg and you know some new experiences and uh, you wrap that all up into one and it's and it's just this whole complete package. Now, I would imagine that you've got families that have been coming out for years now and maybe even multi-generations now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and we hear those stories and they are fun and we recognize a lot of those people and and we see them around town and you know, just the other day I came across uh, something that I'd saved in my in my drawer, and it was, I, I think it was two years ago, the first day of the season, we had a family that came, and there was a little girl who was probably only about five or six years old, mm-hmm. who had written, had been writing notes to us in okay. anticipation of the farmstead opening. And so the first day of the season, she came, she brought all these notes that she'd been writing in anticipation. And we have lots of different experiences like that, that boy, it just really, it, it makes us pause for a moment and recognize that this is more than just uh, an activity. This is something that people have come to really appreciate, look mm-hmm. forward to and find value in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to take another quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about educating people about agriculture. Great. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At D&B Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking, Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. Are you ready for a steal? Then stop by D&B to pick up steel power tools. German engineered, these power players offer quality that never quits. Like the steel MS-271 Farm Boss Chainsaw. Available for just $429.95 with a 20-inch bar and chain. Show your project list who's boss and leave it in your sawdust. With legendary chainsaws, dependable trimmers, forceful blowers, and epic tools of the trade, steel powers through anything. Grab a steal at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Jim. Well, now that we're back, you know, uh, the great thing about agritourism is is people can come out, they can have a great time, but at the same time, they can learn about agriculture, they can learn about farming, they can learn about techniques and the importance of what we do. And and that's so important because we're down to, what, 2% of the population of the entire country that's involved in production agriculture. So, there's really there's a gap there in terms of information. Now, when I when I was lucky enough to interview your daughter for another show, she was telling me about something called the beeline that you have 
at the farmstead and she was telling me about how people can go through this. They can learn all about bees. Uh, I thought it was a great idea, especially in terms of, you know, we've been seeing things like colony collapse and, and things like that throughout the country and in the whole world. So my question for you about this is why is it important to you to not just entertain, but also to teach about agriculture? Oh, boy, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> well, we do love uh, the educational aspect of what we do, and we apply that in a lot of different ways. We have uh, school field trips where students are actually coming out, having mm-hmm. a lesson playing a little bit, picking a pumpkin. We have hold school fundraisers. Um, we have a program called the Food Plate Fun Pass, mm-hmm. where if students keep track of what they eat for a week and identify the items that are grown here in Idaho that they actually are eating, okay, then they can earn a pass to the farmstead. Oh, cool. And uh, that is administered through school classes. But we've also recognized that you can sit down and you can lecture people all day long and it does not a bit of good, but we are all motivated by fun. Mm -hmm. And so if we can weave education into the fun in a way that we don't even realize that it's education, that is the most effective way to communicate something. So we do try to weave that in on, on everything that we do. Uh, You mentioned the beeline is Mm -hmm. one example of that. And we have an observation hive and people are fascinated by that by that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we do try to weave that in everywhere. Uh, we recognize, just like you mentioned, that less and less people are actually hands-on involved in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And that leaves agriculture in a dangerous spot because sure. there are a lot of misconceptions. Sometimes the people that are putting out all this information are really agenda-driven and mm-hmm. it may not be entirely accurate. So so we think it's important for people to come and see that, okay, here around us in Idaho, the farming that's going on is actually, I mean, it's family farms and this is what it is. And it's, it just changes your perspective when you get your hands on it. Yeah. Now, how many people will you employ from our surrounding communities here during your festival season? Oh, it takes quite a few people to, uh, to put on the farmstead. Our seasonal staff is uh, usually uh, somewhere around 150 people, 150 to 200 people. Uh, seasonal staff and then we have a team of of about 10 people that are uh, really more heavily involved as as managers Mm -hmm. and then uh, of course we've got a a few people that are year-round farming and and uh, getting ready so i i wanted to ask you this next question because it's so interesting to me your your love your passion the way you grew up was in production agriculture and when you think about, and, and you're talking about being from Montana, I went to college in Montana, so I'm very familiar with that state, and got an ag degree up there, so always looking at ag up there. And it, as you think about farming and you think about production agriculture, you think about equipment and automation and that, that traditional view of a farmer where you're kind of out away from the masses of people on your land working that land. Now that you've gone into agritourism to be able to to replicate how you grew up and to provide this for your your family and and a farm, now you are still involved in production agriculture, but with the agritourism, now you are a you're a customer service provider to a lot of people coming out from the cities. You're an employer. You're a marketer. Whereas with commodities. Uh, there's some marketing that goes on, but not in the way like doing like the wraps on pickups and things to in websites and things like that. So there's got to be a huge learning curve and a huge shift in mindset to swift uh, to shift over to agritourism to the level that you're at. Was that something that took years to to get used to? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, there's always more to learn. That's one thing about farming or it doesn't matter what business you're in. Mm -hmm. There's always more to learn. And uh, it's something that we thrive on. We we really enjoy that aspect. And that's honestly one of the things that uh, drew me to this concept is this meeting of two meeting of two worlds and, yeah. and skill sets. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we enjoy that quite a bit. But, you know, even just on the production side, um, you got to wear a lot of hats. And there is a lot more uh, technology and um, a lot of sophistication, even in just on the production side of agriculture these sure. days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would imagine, and I'm going to take a guess here. You tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong, but don't answer the question. Well, <laughs> don't expand on the question. Just give me a yes or a no, because I want to tease this as we go into our final break. But I would imagine the question that you get the most often uh, is how in the world do you design and make a corn maze? Am I right about this? That is very frequently a question. Yeah. Okay. I figured that. Yeah, and, there's a lot of intrigue there. And I held that until our final segment. So we're going to take our final break. And when we come back, we're going to learn how you do this, or at least some of it. Very good. Anyone who spends time around horses will tell you, no two are alike. Neutrina understands that horses often have unique nutritional needs as well. That's why D&B Supply carries Neutrina's line of Safe Choice horse feeds. With controlled starch levels, each product in the Safe Choice line is tailored to a specific life stage or special need, so your horses get the precise nutrition they require when they need it most. Neutrina Safe Choice horse feeds. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. Things are really heating up around here at DMB. You'll see why when you check out our wide selection of high-performance stoves from Harman, Quadrifier, and Heatilator EcoChoice. These classic pellet and wood-burning stoves light up your hearth and home. They give you even heat and easy maintenance with craftsmanship that stands the test of time and really stands out. So swing on by DMB Supply and see how Harman, Quadrifier, and Heatilator EcoChoice stoves can warm up your home. All right, Jim. So the the question that uh, I've been holding off on, because I know everybody wants the answer to it, is how in the world do you build or create or design? Well, we'll talk about design in a minute. How do you actually create a corn maze? Well, you know, it it starts from the farming aspect of it. And, you know, anybody who farms or knows farming knows Mm -hmm. that it's not something you wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to have a crop and (laughs) plant it and go. It's it's a year-round process. Uh, beginning with the harvest of the previous year's crop and preparation of the ground and planning that out. So getting a good solid crop of corn, we plant in the spring our entire field of corn. Mm-hmm. And um, meanwhile, we've been, we're working on ideas. Okay. What okay. do we want this design to look like? We consider lots of different things and, and uh, what's going to make a good experience for people. What's going to create some interest what's something that is that we can be behind Mm -hmm. and so we start developing a concept and just drawing that out and we continue to refine that uh, to get the image that we want and then connect and disconnect pathways so that it's functional as a maze and has Mm -hmm. the right level of difficulty that's not frustrating but is challenging and there's a lot of planning that goes into place then when it comes time to actually cut the maze it's uh well it's just a matter of of uh, a lot of head scratching and walking in circles <laughs> <laughs> elbow grease okay uh so we just measure and and uh pace and count steps and really and uh 
Of course, we have cornrows that helps keep us oriented mm-hmm. and uh, just methodically uh, lay it out in the cornfield. So how tall will the corn be when you when you go out and you cut the maize out? Oh, it can be short all the way up to over your head, but it's a lot easier if you get to it before it's quite that tall. Okay. And then how are you cutting it? Like the, the physical act, it, you're saying you're out there walking. Are you doing it by hand or is there a machine? Yeah, so we do it by hand. I like to do it by hand. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways that you can do it, but we feel like we can be most precise by doing it by hand. Okay. And and that plays out in the aerial image that we end up with uh, eventually. Okay. So I like to do it by hand. And uh, first I'll, I'll uh, lay out all the pathways and I'll use some marking paint and flags okay. to uh, make sure that everything matches up the way, and I'm happy with the way everything lays out. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back in and, and remove that corn. Wow. I can't imagine how you can walk through a field of corn, even if it's not above your head, and know where you're at and be able to draw a design that when you cut it out, it'll actually look like what you have in your head. Well, I always liked being the navigator on road trips when I was a kid and reading (laughs) maps. So I guess that that comes into play. But, you know, there's a lot of different technology and technology is advancing very rapidly. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can create a corn maze. Mm-hmm. We're still doing it uh, this way just because we're really happy with the results. We okay. feel like we can be really particular and precise that way. And uh, so we think it's a little, little bit of attention and sweat and hard work that pays off. So the corn that gets cut out, because your mazes are, are large, so that's still a significant amount of corn. Obviously, you probably don't have ears of corn on that yet, but you've got all the corn stalks. What do you do with them? Yeah. You know, at that point we're getting to it early enough. So that that corn stalk is mainly water. It's mm-hmm. very high percentage of water. So it withers away. And by the time we open, it's, got you it. don't even notice it. Yeah. Okay. And then of course, the next question is after the season, you've got this field of corn. How many acres of corn will the maize take? Uh, you know, we're usually about 18, 20 acres. Okay. And we're right around that Okay. This year in the maize. So you're around 20 acres of corn with a maize cut out of it, but then you've got this other crop of corn. So what happens with that after the season ends? Yeah. So after the season, we harvest that. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that has a little bit of intrigue and appeal in mm-hmm. what we do is that there is a double purpose for everything. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, our parking lot where we harvest as hay and and everything that we do has kind of a double purpose. Our so our cornfield, uh, we do harvest at the end of the season mm-hmm. and um, it's fed to cattle well uh and and this question here is for all of our all of our farmers out there because i i would imagine they've got the same question do you have especially now that you own your own land do you have two locations so you can have the corn maize in one location this year and a rotational crop in the other location the same year or are you corn on the same ground year after year after year for the maize you know, we are set up to where we can rotate. Okay. And that's our plan usually. You know, corn, you can grow corn after corn. Mm-hmm. And if if you're paying attention agronomically, then it can handle that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, pumpkins on pumpkins are a harder deal. Okay. They're a little more susceptible to disease. So, uh, so it's important for us to be able to rotate those. So you're moving the pumpkin patch year after year to, to cut down on the disease that's in the soil. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the new location again. I want to make sure that, uh, that everybody knows how to find it, but also, uh, you and I were talking off the air and it makes a lot of sense that there is some value with you being a little bit further out. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah. Well, 
where we've been located right on the freeway has had great visibility, mm-hmm. but it's so congested around there. Sure. And as things are building up around it, we were starting to feel pretty confined. That's one of the reasons why we felt like it's the right time for us to uh, make the move mm-hmm. uh, to where we've been headed and where we're go where we've been going the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that is for uh, this authentic farm experience here in CUNA. And uh, so we have a location that is uh, accessible. It's a 15, 20 minute drive mm-hmm. um, beyond where we've been before. So off the freeway, you can be there in 15 or 20 minutes, mm-hmm. but you really step out of the commotion of day-to-day life and mm-hmm. into the farm. And we love that. We love that experience. Uh, we hear from a lot of people that they are uh, loving that as well. Mm-hmm. And so as we invite people to come out this year, that is part of the invitation is to come out to the Low Family Farmstead and experience the step out of the commotion of your daily life for a uh, make a memory worth repeating. Well, I totally get it. You know, the the last location was wonderful in terms of marketing for sure. People driving by and, and seeing everything and, and seeing everybody out there having fun. It had to be great for that. But in terms of this kind of, I don't know if I should call it cathartic, but almost cathartic experience for people to get out onto a farm in that previous location with the, the huge hospital right across the interstate, which is running by and lots of traffic and helicopters coming and going and emergency vehicles. Now you're out here in the quiet of the farm with farms all around and uh, it it reinforces that, uh, I don't know, that what all of us in agriculture already know about being able to, to live out in the countryside like this. Yeah, for sure. And, it, you know, it's it's more than just what you see as you're driving by and as you're coming out. It, it's going to change the experience for people as they're there. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll allow a little more accessibility to uh, some of the livestock that, that we can maintain and the mm-hmm. crops that we're maintaining there on our place as as opposed to the... Uh, in-town location that we've been. So best routes for people to come out if they're living in, say, southwest Boise, probably Cloverdale Road. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to come out of Boise or from Nampa, Caldwell on the interstate, probably the Meridian Road exit. Yeah, Meridian Road is a a high-speed road and gets you down quickly. You want to take Meridian Road all the way to CUNA, all the way past Mm DNB, the new DNB that's just right there. And then jog over on Cuna Road to Eagle Road and head south a little bit more, and you're right there. Okay, awesome. Well, for folks who want more information, they want to keep up to date on everything that's going on with the Low Family Farmstead, where should they go, Jim? Our website's a, a great resource. We, um, You can sign up for an email newsletter. We're on social media as well. Our website is farmsteadfestival.com, and uh, that's the best place for accurate, up-to-date info. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the D&B Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.